Are you happy? Magic Seeds takes a good look at everyday challenges and gives solid advice on how to navigate through them, be it relationships, career, parenting, or just not feeling happy inside. I'm Dr. Adam Grise. And I'm Laura Grise. Please join us weekly to discuss everyday situations that seem to be getting in the way of feeling happy and peaceful. We'll provide magic seeds and a reliable roadmap for you to follow to stay on a healthy path for your life. Welcome back to Magic Seeds. Today, we were talking about how to find self-love. And today, we're talking about now that you have found it, which doesn't just happen like that. It's not like the light switch in the room. But when you are finding it, when you are securing that self-love, then how do you protect it? How do you create a safe space for that self-love in a world that's not always willing or wanting to unconditionally accept, support, and love you the way you are learning to unconditionally support, accept, and love yourself. And it's most easily seen in fringe populations, minorities. Well, I mean, I think we see it. I think the essence of literally everything is about that, actually, right? I mean, it can be as simple as you have a terrible neighbor and your whole life is crumbling because this terrible neighbor keeps on saying, you're doing this, you're doing that. I mean, literally everything is boiling down to self-love. And if you can walk this life in a strong, confident way and love yourself, all that other chaos just kind of fades away. Easier said than done. Easier said than done because it fades away in the sense that you no longer rely on it to be smoothed out. You're not waiting for the world to suddenly become enlightened. You're not waiting for the world to choose love and peace and not war. There's no charge anymore. Once you find yourself and you're confident, there's no more charge. The way people look at you, it doesn't really matter anymore. But that doesn't mean that people are going to suddenly start looking (laughs) at you. And so that's the point is once it doesn't matter, right? Once you're like, oh, I'm going to love myself regardless. And if you're going to make fun of me for this, or you're going to judge me for that, so be it. Right. But you're still deciding, unless you're going to live in a cave in the Himalaya mountains type of thing, <laughs> you're going to be dealing with society. That sounds society. nice. <laughs> That's really <laughs> that nice. Sounds nice right about now. <laughs> you're going to be dealing with society. Right. You're going to be dealing with people that are intolerant and they are positive their way is the right way. Mm-hmm. And they will claim God as the driving force behind it. They think you're going to go to hell. Right. And so How do you deal with that? Even if you are going to say, I'm going to choose me and I don't care if you don't choose me, but how do you live within this world when there is so much intolerance, there is so much judgment and pressure and expectation, even something as simple as a parent expecting a child to have a certain profession or to not do certain things or not understand why a child would get their eyebrow pierced. Just it could be the smallest of things or the biggest of things like you're gay. Oh my God, you're going to hell and you don't belong on this planet or abortion or it doesn't even matter. There's issue after issue after issue where even if you choose yourself and you're learning it and you might even change the way you think five years from now, if people are going to be judging you, how do you find your peace when you're constantly living within an environment that is intolerant? Right. So today's topic is about self-love, but we're going to bring up, we've been bringing up guests on the show and topics on the show where that is glaring, right? Where it's very, very difficult to navigate through self-love because the external forces are so judgmental and non-accepting. 
Last week we had Kristen Beal on and that was more even highlighting the internal and there's plenty of external, right? If you're going around in a wheelchair and people are like, oh, staring at you like you're a 10 headed animal. But I mean, losing physical function Mm -hmm. is such an internal battle of define your sense of self, right? And your sense of worth for help for things that you wouldn't normally want to. I mean, there's just a whole list of things with disability. And then today we're kind of doing the inverse where we're going to be talking about where society is so easy to come in with their judgment. Right. and expectations. We'll have a guest today and we'll be talking to your lifelong childhood friend. Best friend. Best friend from childhood. Yes, Michael Harden. Michael and I go back as far as first grade and uh, I remember we were not friends then. She didn't like me. She called me sunshine child or something like that. She thought I was too bright. Maybe I wore bright colors. I have no idea what I'll it was. I'll have to ask her about this. You were going to have to. So I am trying to think of when we became friends in elementary school, but we became best buddies, eighth, ninth grade, and attached at the hips. And oh man, we had everything we did was to make memories. Everything we did. So if we dared each other to do something and the other one didn't want to do it, we're building memories. Karch, we're building memories. So that as soon as one said that, we couldn't say no. So it didn't matter how horrible it was. We had to go for it. So anyway, Michael and I have done a lot. And when we were going through those phases, Michael was a normal child and adolescence and teenager and She didn't know, just as many didn't know that she was gay and she found herself. I don't want to talk too much because I want her to be able to talk, but uh, she found herself as a young adult and decided to come out and she's been navigating through gay community ever since. And it's really been a beautiful process and we're really lucky to have her as a guest today. All right. Well, let's get her on. Okay. So today we have Michael Hardin on as our guest, my best childhood friend. And many memories, although I was just saying to her that I have zero memory and I'm sure she has a fantastic memory. So there are going to be some awkward silences as she's laughing up a storm about these memories. And I was also (laughs) mentioning how everything we did was fueled by these are going to be memories for life, Karch. These are going to be memories for a life heart. And we couldn't say no to it. As soon as we said that that was our cue, no matter what it was, I mean, jump off a cliff. We had to make memories. So we couldn't say no. That's exactly right. Right. We never did. (laughs) We never did. We flipped around in a dryer many times. That part I remember. Well, I was reflecting on the time that you convinced me to steal chickens from a farm. (laughs) Exotic chickens. I like that story. Exotic chickens. My mom came home and they were running around the yard. (laughs) My mom swore like a sailor, so I won't say what she said on the podcast, but there were a lot of words. I mean, they were thrown in the back of our minivan. (laughs) oh my gosh so michael i was also saying that when we first met in first grade i believe it was you didn't like me right i'm sure of it you called me the sunshine kid or something like that it was second grade mrs fry's class (laughs) and i don't know that i didn't like you it's just that you were very different than me which uh, i think uh, actually worked out for our friendship i think so too but in what way well i mean you were the sunshine girl you were uh, <laughs> sunshine girl. i mean come on 
in every way possible. I think we were different in lots of ways and shared the same sense of humor, which I think was the real magic of our friendship. I think so too. We had probably the best laughs I've ever had in my entire life. (laughs) Safe to say. At other people's expense. (laughs) (laughs) Whatever. It didn't matter what it was. It was just uh, a lot of laughs. Really, really good time. So today we have Michael here as our guest because Michael, we're doing a self-love series and really trying to hone in on the gay and lesbian communities and how the external or the world views the LGBTQ community. And no matter how much you and your partner go through life, you're still going to have some resistance and some judgment. And we wanted to talk about how you go through your social, your marital, your parental daily activities. Just being a minority makes you a target. Whether someone is gay, whether someone is a different religion, whether someone black or Asian or Caucasian, if you're something different that's deemed different, you become a target for one or various groups. And LGBTQ is obviously a big out there target. And as much as Laura and I are massive proponents of liberation for all, like freedom of expression, freedom of being who you really are without a limitation being put on that, without someone telling you if it's right or it's wrong. We don't know what that community goes through on a day-to-day level, let alone as parents. You and MA are raising twin boys and what that looks like day-to-day. It's very easy for us to be here. I'm like, we love everyone and we accept everyone and we're just living our own little bubble, but we don't know what that really looks like. And we would love to help shed some light because it helps. Last week we were talking about when you have your own internal struggles with a sense of self and how to love yourself. But even if you do love yourself, sometimes it's difficult to maintain that because it's hard to create a safe space for that self-love because there are people that are telling you you're going to hell because of your truth. And I also failed to mention to the listeners that, Michael, when did you come out? You were in your 30s, right? So I I did come out pretty late in life, which I would say was a real struggle, of course. As you're talking and as you're reflecting on having this conversation and talking about it, interestingly enough, we live in such, I mean, we live in 0.3 miles from Philadelphia. Right. And it is such a diverse, inclusive, amazing community. So this is not as prevalent, I would say, in our day to day, right? Like I'm pretty integral in the business community in Philadelphia. And we, as I said, live just barely in the suburbs. There, of course, have been a few incidents with our kids. So we have twin boys who are nine years old. And there have been a few things last year, summer camp. I think so-and-so said it's impossible to have two moms. We must have a dad somewhere. Of course, we had to had to talk about that. Our kids are, this is all they know. And we talk to them all the time about all different sorts of families. One mom, two moms, one dad, two dads, being raised by grandparents, being adopted. We're very fortunate to live where we live. I will say that. In regards to coming out later in life, that is true. And in fact, Laura, I'll reflect, reflect our childhood friendship quite a bit because you were boy crazy. And I just remember thinking like, boy on the planet that I would sneak out of the house in the middle of the night and meet in a cornfield, <laughs> as you did on many occasions. And or we would be done with tennis practice and you'd be running over to the football field and I would be hanging out with the coach, just trying to make her laugh. 
So the signs were all there. I still tried to make the girls laugh. But, you know, but I always sort of felt different than the experience that my friends and close friends, like Laura, as an example, were having in our teenage years. I would say we grew up in Cookstown as Adam, and still I would say that community is not as embracive and inclusive, and it, it, I'm very aware of it when I visit home. And I would say growing up, I mean, I didn't know any sort of out in the world gay or lesbian people, and the few that did, that were brave enough to sort of live that authentic life, were really ridiculed, I would say, outwardly and behind closed doors. And so it really felt like something that was not, it was like a path that was scary and daunting to me to be othered that much. And I didn't have anyone that I could look to, like any mentor, or I couldn't see myself in any other family. And kind of reflect on this, I was in college that I was really sort of understanding that like I was gay. And Ellen DeGeneres on her, her sitcom, and she was canceled. And that was another sort of like poignant moment for me because I thought to myself, man, the, the world, it's not just my community that doesn't accept this. It's the world, right? That's like Ellen DeGeneres. She has a primetime right. you know, television show. She's a very beloved comedian and actress. And she was canceled. And that there were just moments of that that like kind of chipped away at my confidence in order to be able to be brave enough to live my truth. Mm-hmm. And think what you guys are had talked about in the beginning of the podcast, spend a lot of time thinking about is when you are living in authentic life, it really can deteriorate at so many other pieces of your world. And so my 20s, I think, were spent. I think I squandered a lot of time, a lot of energy. I was in a relationship with a woman that started in my sort of later 20s that was closeted from both sides. And she still is. And that was never having anybody find out or know about it was really important to her mostly. It was really damaging. It was really emotionally abusive. Was full of shame. You can't live a successful life that way. And so when I turned 30 and made the decision to move to Philadelphia, it took total career change, total life change, total changed where I was living, and eventually came out finally, which I don't, I, I can't even remember if there was one person that was surprised, but not the biggest shock to anybody. It changed everything, right? Like it changed the way that I felt about myself. It changed my familial relationship. It changed friendship. It changed my trajectory in terms of my career. Um, authenticity, again, living in the shadows does not make for a good life. Michael, when you said coming out and it wasn't a shock, I am wondering the people around you, people who loved you and people you love and who you decided to come out to, like your first core circle. When you did come out and it wasn't a shocker, was it almost like, oh my gosh, I just wasted all this time in my life hiding when in fact these people knew all along and loved me all along? Or I don't know, what kind of feelings did you have? Because I distinctly remember in you telling me to sit down. Are you sitting down? You need to sit down for this. I'm sitting down. What's up? I'm gay. I was like, just waiting. I was just quiet and waiting for like the rest, like the real hardcore news. You're like, well, don't you have anything to say about that? I was like, no, I already know that. Like, what else you got? <laughs> like, I knew for a very, very, very long time. But was there a relief or was there, wow, did I just waste all these years living in the shadows? What kind of feelings did you have? Because I guess you and I never actually discussed 
I think you were a little bit irritated with me, but you and I never discussed. <laughs> Safe to say. Yeah, um, possibly true. <laughs> what did you feel when you came out to your core group and it was so accepting, thinking about your family? I mean, you couldn't have a more accepting and loving group surrounding you than your family. Yeah, 100%. And I felt definitely, I felt like there were a lot of wasted years. That said, it is really, I'm also not big on regret person because I really like the life that I have now. One pivot would have meant probably that I wouldn't have been at that place at that time. And I met Mary Alice, I met my business partner and had Jack and Finn. And it's hard to, hard for me to use the word regret. Certainly, that being said, I do reflect on the wasted agonizing over who I was, agonizing. I don't know that I ever thought, like, I mean, Laura, you know my my mom really well. Like, there's Uh pretty much nothing I could have grown up to do or become that she would not have accepted. So same with Joshua and my dad. Joshua is my brother. But I would say, yeah, of course. I mean, there was a lot of pain and there was a lot of agonizing over trying to sort of press this. Michael, when you we're ready to come out. And obviously that's a massive barrier to get through just to put it out there publicly. And like you said, you'd already experienced what happened to Ellen. Once you did it, were you ready to claim yourself? And were you ready? Like, okay, I love myself. And now I'm just nervous of how the world's going to react to this. Or were you still even questioning things inside? I was ready. I mean, at that point, I had met Mary Alice. Mary Alice and I very quickly were like, this is, this is it. I think there was like a deep knowing that we would be together for a very long time. And I was ready to show the world my plus one for sure. Interestingly, I say that I always did, even when I struggled with my sexuality or being honest with my sexuality, I always had self-love. I wasn't completely devalued myself or void of any self-love. I don't think those things are mutually exclusive. But yeah, I mean, I was ready. Mary Alice's family is very conservative Catholic family, not accepting at the time. I mean, things have gotten incrementally better with most of them, but not all of them. So that came with its own set of challenges. But yeah, I was pretty damn happy. It's important for the listeners to know, too, that Mary Alice, your wife, was married back in the day to a man, right? Yep, she was. That's not who she was. And so, I mean, the path you two have taken is just, it's, I love it. I love it so much because it's just so true to yourselves. (laughs) What really kind of excites me in terms of just professionally and spiritually with people and their own growth and getting to this point of self-love, like you're saying, you had the self-love. I feel like a lot of people, when they love themselves, then when they get resistance from the outside world from it, it ends up being like a, a struggle. Like it's a cause. And I think that takes people away from just getting to just genuinely enjoy who they are and express themselves. It seems like you knew somewhat instinctively how to find a space in this world where there wasn't much and isn't much resistance and there is acceptance for you to express yourself like that. But have you noticed that at all where people end up, they're almost like fighting for themselves instead of just enjoying being themselves? Yeah, I mean, again, it was, Mary Alice's family is really the outlier of this, I would say. And that was hard for me for a few reasons. I think one of which is, and I think Laura can kind of attest to this, but I was even growing up into 
teenage years and college years, I was oftentimes like the parent of my peers. Like I was like their favorite. I was a pretty good, respectful kid. I was could could relate to adults, and that was a, was a part of my identity, I guess. Now that I'm reflecting on it, and to not be accepted by my partner's parents was very hard for me. There was like a little kid inside that like really just wanted that acceptance. I was excited to be a part of her family. She's the oldest of four girls, lots of aunts and uncles and cousins and kids always running around. And now 13 years later, we have 11 nieces and nephews on the side. So holidays are like full and chaotic. And that was the thing that I was really looking for. And I did not get, I did not get that. And still don't get that to the fullest extent that I would want, of course. So that was very hard for me to resolve, sort of regretful for ways that I approached that in the past, the past younger version of myself. But really, you know, any sort of acting out was all just disappointment and this lack of acceptance. Um, I am, for whatever reason, very peaceful about it now. Sometimes we kind of always wondered what would happen with kids as they started to get older and started to kind of recognize that strain. Because they, when they were first born, it was a very tense situation that was, our kids were not embraced in the same way. And for the kids, I mean, I think of it, and I think there's just such an awareness. They aren't you know, treated the same is the right word in the circle in the same way. So that, that's hard. That's the hard part for me now is like seeing it kind of through the lens of the kid. But again, like our kids, we have always like our, our, our agreement with them is we always tell them the truth. Right. Like even when there's Jack came home with something from the bus that I won't repeat here, but it was very vulgar and he wanted to know what it was. And I sat him down. I'm like, you're asking me, I'm telling you, but it's not appropriate for you to share this with anybody else. Right. I don't want them to find out about things from other people. And I don't want them to ever think that they can't come to me and hear the truth. Right. So they know the truth of things where they know why our family is not accepted in the same way. They understand religion. They understand how people weaponize religion. They understand people who have different philosophies and, and feeling on things. So our kids are very in tune and I would say very mature in that way. Not always. Of course, they're still nine-year-old boys. I'm really mature in that way. As a parent, you have nine-year-old boys, so the capacity to understand and process is not the same as you and Mary Alice, obviously. But that's the perfect example of what we're talking about here yes. is how do you teach them to go about where they're like, yeah, people might not love and accept and support the way we are teaching you to love, support and accept yourselves. How do you teach them to create that safe space while allowing for the outside world to be SOBs? <laughs> right. Yeah. Again, I mean, I think there's, I'll, I'll just kind of go back to their life and their community is largely so embracive and accepting. I mean, you should see, Laura, I mean, what a stark contrast from Cooktown to where you walk into their school and there's like every country flag and the gay pride flag oh, and wait, Black that's, Lives Matter. That's just like Cookstown. <laughs> <laughs> right. <laughs> and so there's, they are in a community and a school where there is just no tolerance, right? And diversity is so celebrated. And of course, Philadelphia is a very democratic liberal city. Mm -hmm. There's pockets, right? Like there's Everywhere. pockets in those neighborhoods. But largely, I think their experience is very good. And I think when they're met with, they had some kids said to 
said to Jack this school year, well, what would you even have a dad? It's impossible to, do you call one of your mom's dad? Like, it was just like an aggressive schoolyard. They really, like, it doesn't resonate. I mean, it just doesn't hit them for very long, right? And we also don't dwell on it. Like, mm-hmm. Jack came home, he tells us this happened, and we're like, that kid is what's up with that? That kid must be, why would that kid have so much aggress- aggression? Why would that kid feel the need to try to make you feel bad, right? They're, they're, they must feel bad about themselves. There must be something about themselves, right? Like, pay attention, Jack, because in 10 years, he's going to come out, right? <laughs> right. <laughs> You're meeting them where they're at. You're being open and honest. It's not like this secret that you're waiting for them to discover when they're out of the house and 18 years old and they have to figure it out on their own. They're literally being infused with the essence of the message I think all kids really should be taught is just acceptance. It doesn't matter what it looks like. And when someone, and I know Adam and I do this, I mean, I think we have this all the time, that if there is a kid who's being mean, to more so feel for them and love them because they're going through some inner turmoil that they're not happy with in their life. While choosing not to accept what they're putting forth. Right. Right. It's right. like, just, just like Michael said, what's going on with them? What's their insecurity right. that they're trying to put that on you? But you don't have to accept that because you're secure in who you are. I mean, Michael, it's the perfect message you're giving your boys. It is. Yeah, that's exactly right. It was interesting, again, like sort of in thinking about this conversation, my friendship with Laura and growing up and navigating lower school, middle, high school, who I was then, who I am now, so on and so forth. The least interesting thing about me, I think. (laughs) Oh, no, I don't think about it a whole lot. You're in the flow. You're living your best life. I mean... You don't even notice. You're obviously you're living true to who you are because it's not yeah not anything that's coming up. The point is when you're securing yourself, you're not even looking for those things. <laughs> right. When when you're insecure, you're looking for people or things that are judging you or rejecting you. But if you're confident, you're just not even paying attention to that. Right. Isn't that nice? <laughs> I mean, the fact that if you have that, and that's just like a frequency, you can't fake it, right? You can try, but when we're talking about you have children and you want to raise your children and you could say whatever you want till you're blue in the face, but when you own something, they're picking up on that and it comes through in another way. So to teach them that sense of security from within is so much stronger than the, this is right, this is wrong. I, I kind of really excited just, uh, I haven't spoken to you, Michael, I don't think since our wedding. And uh, it's just really cool after all the horror stories I hear from your guys' childhood. <laughs> you've really done well you're doing awesome um with yourself and with the kids yeah i appreciate that we're trying i'm sure we make our fair share of mistakes as as everybody does but we're certainly giving our best shot michael i want some of your humor to come out here so is there anything that you would like to shed the light on any kind of misconceptions that you and ma are finishing up your day you're just dumbfounded about something that happened in a day is there anything out of misconceptions or uneducated people that they say or they do that's still going on? Besides, you're going to hell. If you- <laughs> uh, right. I think the only thing that we kind of snicker to ourselves sometimes, and honestly, it's hard. It's just me being a little bit snarky because I know that it is always coming from a really good place. Oh, hey, this is my wife, Mary Alice. And then the light bulb is like, okay, this is a gay couple. And then somebody else say, well, I was just talking to my cousin and his husband the other day. And so this is immediately like connecting to like another gay couple. Just like ensure we kind of snark about it. But I was another gay couple. Cool. Get it. <laughs> like but you're I mean, a separate species. 
Yeah. The other thing is, is like, it's really nice because that person is trying to flag that oh, this is a safe place, right? We're good. We're all good here. So hard to be too judgmental of that. The other thing sometimes is like, oh, my cousin is a lesbian. Do you know her? No, oh, she wasn't at the meeting tonight. We don't know her. Maybe we'll see her at next week's meeting. <laughs> but outside of that, Again, like I hate to belabor the point, but the area that we live in, and we live very close to kind of Mount Airy, Chestnut Hill, like all these things. There have been national studies done on, and it's not just LGBT community, right? It's like socioeconomic diversity, racial diversity, and it's a pretty harmonious place to live. That's nice. To That's a good point. You know, we're talking about just bringing it back to the point of today was how do you create a safe space for self-love? And the one thing that I keep hearing from you and even myself, I was raised in Long Island in a very Jewish community. Say, yes. It was like 95% Jewish. I didn't know Jewish people were a minority. I went to Hebrew school and we had to read a New York Times article or something like that once a week. And I think just they wanted to show us how much people hate us. Like you guys need yeah. to know. And then I moved out to California and my first girlfriend at the time literally checked the top of my head for the remnants of horns. She had never met oh. a Jewish person before. And that's not. She wasn't even being judgmental. She was just like curious. She's like, oh, can I touch the top of your head? What? And I'm like, never well, even I'm like, heard of something I like that. I hadn't heard of that either. Yeah. They didn't teach that yeah. in Hebrew school. But to the point, I wouldn't necessarily put myself in a position where some way that I can be looked at and defined, I'm going to be persecuted for it. Oh, just how to create a safe space for self-love. Part of it is just being pragmatic, pragmatical, having a common sense of, I don't want to put myself in harm's way. Ocean full of sharks. I'm not going to go swimming there. I mean, I'm not going to be like, no, this is my ocean too. Some of it is set yourself up for success so you can practice self-love, so you can practice teaching the ways of living that you want to live with unconditional love and acceptance and support. So one thing that really stands out to me today for you, Michael, is I can't even speak to it because I situated myself. I've created a really safe space for self-love, so it's not even an issue. I think that's a really big point, a good magic seed to plant. Instead of always being in a fight, like, I need to fight these sharks. Right. Why not set yourself up that you can actually enjoy this? So thank you for that. Do you think that was interesting because we, you know, we've brought up down so much now and self-hatred and all those things. We have a little joke, Laura, which you'll appreciate in our house and amongst another couple from Kutztown who, who came out. Is that woman gay or is she from Burke County? <laughs> really, every housewife in Burke County kind of looks like a lesbian. But I digress. The Trump presidency, pre-presidency and a presidency, which my God, are we ever going to get rid of him entirely? Who knows? But that really like highlighted and accentuated things, right? And certainly, I mean, even people from back home, my ex girlfriend, a massive Trump supporter, apparently. And it's really interesting. I try not to really go on Facebook much at all anymore because it's kind of a wasteland. But you really like can see what people are thinking. It's more visible now than it ever was. It sure is. You used to like the local politician or hate your neighbor. And you like went home and you talked about it inside your house, maybe. But you didn't put it out there for a thousand friends, quote unquote, to, to see. That part's been, been like really interesting and use the, the phrase fight the shark for whatever reason. I mean, we're not like a big march on or go, go down and spend three days in pride parades and things of that nature. 
just because I think it's personality. I mean, I think it's great that people do that and we need those people. Like we need, we need all the people's right. All the, all the people. We like, I need all the people to do all the things. And I'm grateful for the fighters because I think that is why we're here. Not, not just LGBT community, but also women and gay equity. And like, there's so many things to fight for that it's hard to decide which ones you are going to fight for. I think that we do still need people to fight. And there are still communities, like I think of the trans community, certainly the racial inequities that are still happening in this country, the gun violence that's still happening. So we do still need the fighters. Yes, we do. You're right. There's a that ancient book, the Bhagavad Gita, is like this, I'm going to probably destroy it completely, <laughs> but... Basically, there's this guy who is a warrior, and but he has to then go to war against his family. And he's like, I don't know if this is the right thing to do. And he gets this guidance like, listen, you're a warrior. That's what you do. You're living out your path. It's like death is just part of a cycle. Don't worry about that so much. You have to be true to your nature. And in that sense, it would be awesome if the fighters out there were just genuinely expressing themselves. They're just, they love a cause as opposed to angry, 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 angry in a revolt. It's just, we need people that are going to fight for change. Hopefully it comes from a place of love um, as opposed to kind of war, even if you're a battle. Always. Yeah, I agree. Wrapping this up, Grizy, the magic seed for today. I know you've mentioned it a bunch of times, but oh yeah. Well, I mean, I think there's a few of them in here, but I mean, if we're already past making sure to love yourself, it's to create a safe space for it. You know, be true to yourself. Just like Michael's saying, I, I'm not a fighter. I don't want to fight. I'm going to put myself in a position where I get to love and make people laugh, right? Michael, you like making people laugh. You've set yourself up in that space. So the magic seed is once you find the seed of who you are, plant it in a place that allows it to prosper. Plain right. and simple. Love it. Cool. Well, thank you so much, Michael. I hope I get to talk to you not only on podcasts. Thank you, Harden. Yeah, I would love that. Thanks, guys. Okay, we'll talk to you later, okay? Take care. Okay, Bye-bye. love you. Bye. Bye-bye. Okay, well, that is it for today. Till next week, nothing but love.